Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I am your host, Lee McEwen, and today with us, we have a very special guest. His name is Mike DeRocco. He writes for ESPN. He is their Jaguars beat reporter. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's another sweaty day out here in New York. But as we chatted before, it sounds like you're enjoying a little bit of rain down in Jacksonville, which is always nice because, as you also told me, it's usually close to triple digit degrees. So we like not dying in the heat. That's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be warm the rest of the week. But, uh, you know, we've had actually kind of a mild summer, but just in time for camp, the temperatures are creeping up in the mid 90s, which is the way it always works out. So it is what it is. I'm sure the players are very excited about that. Yeah, well, I can still remember there was a, a Leonard Fournette, his rookie year. You know, he grew up in New Orleans. He played in, at LSU, so he's familiar with the South and the heat. But even he said the first camp that he was here, it was like, man, this is nothing like Louisiana. So uh, <laughs> the guys that have been – I mean, we had such a mild spring. The guys that weren't here, um, you know, in previous years, they really don't have any idea what they're headed for. Yeah, I don't even know if Urban Meyer has any idea what he said it for. Uh, well, I mean, he was down in Gainesville, so he should uh, in terms of weather-wise. But uh, I don't know if he knows what he's headed for in terms of being an NFL coach. <laughs> well, he will absolutely be finding out very soon, and we'll get to the Jaguars talk later. But first, Mike, as always with the Press Pass podcast, we start with a pretty simple question. When was the first time or kind of, you know, what, what was your story about when you realized that being in sports media and being a sports reporter is really what you wanted to do? Wow. Uh, I think going back to high school, um, I took a journalism class as an elective. I think I want to say my junior year. And um, I really liked it. I'd always, always liked to write. So that seemed to be, um, you know, just a natural class for me to take. And, and I really enjoyed it. And I originally thought I would be, you know, a, cops reporter or features reporter but they needed someone to do the sports editor job for the school paper and they asked me and and I guess from that moment on I was kind of hooked because you kind of unfortunately uh you kind of get a little bit of everything in this job a little bit of sports Mm -hmm. reporting a little bit of feature reporting a little bit of news reporting so it kind of melds it all together there well I'm sure that was very helpful insofar as the uh building of the overall skill set then yeah you know, it was, it was, a, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoyed getting into it. Um, and usually by the end of my uh, you know, senior year in high school, I was like, this is, this is definitely what I want to do mm-hmm. with my life. And I've been incredibly lucky because uh, I've been able to do it for, you know, I graduated high school in 1988, graduated college in 92 and pretty much since 1988, I've been doing what I've wanted to do. Uh, so I, I feel incredibly lucky. Absolutely. And so um, like you figured out pretty early on comparatively that kind of this general idea is what, you know, the industry that you wanted to go into. Was the goal always to be a football reporter? Was there any other sport you had your eye on when you were in those early formative years or did you just kind of roll with the punches as they came as it were? Well, I mean, it was always really kind of football was my first love, my, my favorite sport ever since I was a kid. So, I mean, more geared towards football, but um, you know, I enjoyed basketball and, and baseball and stuff like that. I just knew I wanted to write something in sports. Um, and, but yeah, football was probably on top of the list, but you know, throughout my career, I've covered golf tournaments, tennis tournaments, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, gosh, I did some hockey too with a minor league team. So I've, I've really had a chance to cover a lot of sports, but football is really the first love for sure. Absolutely. But so let's go aside from football, over your, you know, extensive experience covering all those different sports you just named, do you remember any one in particular, like as one that you really enjoyed writing for or writing about? Rather? Oh, yeah. We used to have a tournament. I worked for the, the newspaper in Jacksonville for almost 20 years, and there was a tennis tournament up at Amelia Island, Bausch and Lomb Championships. Um, and we would get, I mean, Steffi Groff played in it, Monica Sellis played in it, uh, Rancho Sanchez Vicario played in it. I'm kind of dating myself. But that would, to me, was one of the most fun events that we got to cover. Or I got to cover every year because it was, it was a low key setting. Uh, there wasn't a ton of media there, but we had some of the top players in women's tennis there every year, and you got to see some really high level tennis. I mean, the Williams sisters played it. Um, you know, uh, it, it was just fantastic to watch, and and 
getting a chance to interview those players and talk to those players after matches in more of a relaxed setting, uh, I think really kind of helped with the coverage because they might have been a little bit more open than they would if it was a packed, mm -hmm. you know, Wimbledon press room. But that was one of my favorite events to cover. Uh, and I really enjoyed covering the minor league hockey team in town because everybody had always said hockey players are the, the best group of athletes to deal with. And, and, you know, I think there's a little bit of a case by case basis there, but that was a really good group of kids. It was a really, really nice locker room. And they were really helpful to a guy who, I mean, I moved to Florida when I was 10 years old and really didn't see much hockey at all. Mm -hmm. and didn't know anything about the sport really. And they were really helpful to a guy who would ask them questions that probably a hockey fan would know without even having to think about it. So th those were two things other than football that I really enjoyed covering. For sure. When did you start working at that paper? Uh, let's see. I graduated college in 92 and I worked at a small five day a week daily paper for about a year. And I moved to the Times Union in April of 93. So it's been, uh, it was about uh, just a year after I graduated college. Okay. And then what was kind of your first gig over there? I was a part-time guy doing high school sports and community sports and typing in bowling scores and typing in gymnastic scores, uh, pretty much did whatever you could, whatever they needed to do. We had a big community news section too. So, um, you know, that broke out in parts of the city. So we would write junior high stories and local sports stories. So kind of got my teeth cut on covering a bunch of different sports in that area. For sure. And a lot of people I talk to who are in this industry, took a very similar path in the, in the aspect of high school sports was a really big part of their earlier career. And they always speak fondly in retrospect about kind of the skill set and the, the, the steps they had to take to cover high school sports and how it formulated kind of, it helped them formulate into what they are now as journalists. So do you feel the same as far as your time doing that? Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. We used to talk about this all the time when I covered the university of Florida, that um, we have it backwards in the journalism profession and that you should cover the NFL and major colleges and, and MLB and NBA before you cover high schools to get you ready. Because when you cover high schools, I mean, and you go to a high school football game, no one's handing you stats at the end of the quarter. You're taking your own stats. No one's giving you any kind of play by play. You're, you're writing down play by play and stats. And then you're arranging your own interviews and you're talking to kids uh, which is much harder to talk to than than adults and professional football players. It was, or or, or even college football players. It uh, you work. I don't want to say you work so much harder, but it's it's a lot more. It's just a lot different covering high schools and and really to kind of go in there as a young kid and really not really not know what we're doing. I mean, not, none of us. I mean, we graduate, but when you graduate school, I think you find this in a lot of professions that you get out into the profession and you go okay, well, this isn't what it looked like in the classroom. There's so much other learning on as you go. And we always used to joke, me and, and some of the other writers, we would joke about, man, you should cover that last but after you get all this other stuff done. Because this, in terms of chasing information and everything, the NFL, major college, that's much easier than chasing it in high schools. Um, so I think uh, I would agree. But, I mean, you go through that three or four years of that, and then you're pretty much ready to cover anything. Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Our friends in Manscaped have cleared you off for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop reviver toner, performers boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system this fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology the lawnmower 4.0 has a 7000 rpm motor a new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock and is even waterproof the performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker it's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Do you remember any one story that stands out to you from those high school days that you might have written or one? Uh... Oh, wow. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's been so long ago, but I do think that there were... 
there was one I wrote about, um, there was a, a high school in Jacksonville that, that kind of got busted for recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, uh, you know, way, way back in, in the early in the mid nineties. Um, and that was one that we kind of had to work on. And that was probably the first, uh, newsy investigative thing that I did in chasing information. Um, and the other one that will always stick with me and, and it's not a great, um, experience, but I can remember sitting in the office, reading the wires. And, and there was a story about a wrestler, um, who died in college while he was trying to make weight and the name looked familiar. And I looked him up and sure enough, he was a wrestler from our high school area. So, uh, you know, I brought that up to our sports editor and he was like, well, you got to call and see if you can get some people to talk about him. So I remember having to call the high school coach to ask about him and him crying on the phone. Um, and that was just, I mean, I'm 25 years old. I had really had to deal with anything like that before. And it was probably one of the toughest moments of my career in terms of just being on the phone with someone who had just found out the, the information earlier in that day and just how raw his emotions were. And it was, it was hard not to choke up myself. So it was, uh, that's always going to stick with me because I think I learned something that day about, you know, we, we tend to think in stories, but it's more people and how hard it is sometimes to just to deal with people and, and how hard, you know, you or how compassionate you really need to be instead of just always thinking about the story. Yeah. And I think that's, I, that's obviously, you know, tragic example, but that's right. sort of a good, like kind of microcosm of sort of the, the value in covering high school sports is that because these are all just kids and their parents that you're talking to and they're, you know, not these, and they're not athletes who are paid or they're going to school to do this and they have their stock answer, right? These are just like, they're people. And right. it sounds like you took away from that as far as being an early, a young reporter that that's the most important thing to remember, especially when, I mean, I'm sure it helps later on, but especially when you're dealing with kind of like the group that you work. Yeah, and, and it was a lot of fun as a general rule, though. I mean, it, it was fun going out to, to high school football practices on a Tuesday afternoon to talk to coaches and kids. But, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, I, I don't know if, if we as a general rule in terms of, of journalists, but, I mean, it, it, it is about the relationships and the people. Um, and some of the relationships that I started to develop back then, you know, I still talk to some of those people. Um, and that was uh, – that was something that I really didn't expect to last as long as it has. You never do really. Yeah. So where'd you go next after the high school beat? You're still at the times union. Yeah. I ended up doing some uh, small colleges around here. I did the minor league baseball team around here, the minor league hockey team, the arena minor league arena football team. Um, So I did about seven years of that um, all together and then ended up covering the university of Florida from 2000 to 2011 to when I left, uh, left the team or left the, the newspaper to join ESPN. That's a pretty big beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got, uh, the end of Spurrier, all of Ron Zook, all of Urban Meyer, and most of Will Muschamp. But that was, you know, when Florida was rolling mm-hmm. in the mid two thousands with Tebow, and the basketball championships and the two football championships and, I mean, that was as intense uh, a four- or five-year stretch um, as – I, I mean, I, I haven't covered anything that intense, uh, believe it or not, even covering the NFL uh, that I did then. I mean, it was just – but it was so much fun because everything you wrote, it seemed like people cared about. And, it, and everything that you were writing was important. Um, it, it was just – Florida, you know, the University of Florida is in Gainesville. It's about 75 miles away from Jacksonville. Jacksonville is a huge Gator town. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, oh, by the way, Tim Tebow played high school football in Jacksonville, raised in Jacksonville, so that added another thing to it as well. So, um, But, you know, jumping right in on that was, uh, you know, there was a bit of an eye-opening experience at first, but it was, again, like I said, some of the most fun years that I've had in this business. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious about specifically what was eye-opening about it because, you know, you're going from – covering high school and then a variety of the smaller beats. And then suddenly you're on probably the biggest beat in Jacksonville. So, and you're still a pretty young reporter at that point. I mean, what was your mindset going into it? Kind of what what were those early days like? Well, uh, the early days were more sort of like, um, I wasn't starstruck. Um, 
but I will admit to being a little bit intimidated by Steve Spurrier at first, um, just because of all the things that I had read and all the things you have heard and seen about him. Um, but once you got past that, um, and it took me a little bit, um, I mean, I did, I never shied away from asking questions or, or anything like that, but it was just, you know, just Steve Spurrier had this sort of, you know, larger than life persona. Um, but, but once you got past that, I mean, the bottom line is it was the same stuff that we were covering in high school. It's football. It's, it's just, the people are different. They're a little bit older. There's some different issues uh, that you have to deal with, but it was a lot of fun um, sort of making that transition. But the, the, the thing that I'll always remember too, was showing up to the first day of practice. And uh, the first story I wrote back in 2000, uh, I sort of came on, uh, the guy that was covering the team left just before the season started. So they're like, okay, go. And I got there and I'll ne- it was the Brock Berlin year. I think Brock Berlin was a freshman or maybe he was a sophomore. And Jesse Palmer, who now still works for, for ESPN, was uh, the quarterback there as well. And I think the very first story I wrote was, yeah, there's this supposed battle between Brock Berlin and Jesse Palmer for that starting job. What about this other kid, Rex Grossman here? I mean, he had a pretty good college career or high school career. And Rex went on to win the job that year and ended up being uh, the starting quarterback and ended up leading them to an SEC championship. So uh, I kind of felt like, well, maybe, maybe I kind of have an idea what I'm doing at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's a real confidence booster when one of the <laughs> stories you write ends up becoming – the best prediction you could have possibly made. And you weren't even going for like the bold prediction aspect. You're no, no. Yeah. It was just like, Oh, you know, everyone thinks that this guy's, you know, it's just between these two guys. I mean, why can't this guy be part of it? Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was just one of those easy stories to kind of get you going and get you into the flow. Um, and it turned out to be kind of on the money there, which, I kind of remind people every once in a while because you got you got to remind people of your victories all the time because everybody seems to remind you of all your losses. So mm. uh, every once in a while, I'll kind of bring that up. Freezing cold takes is a pretty great industry, but <laughs> it's nice to remember the good ones. It's nice Absolutely. to remember the right ones. So you covered University of Florida during perhaps the most interesting and arguably tumultuous time in the program's history for pretty much the entire time, 11 years. That's when probably that time span was when the University of Florida was most relevant in the national conversation in terms of the last 20 or 30 years. So, I mean, what were just some of your biggest takeaways as a reporter being on boots on the ground there, as far as your own career goes, and as far as just kind of the stories you were covering? Uh, Well, to be honest with you, that's sort of where the the police reporting part of me kind of, I mean, I hadn't really done much of it at all Mm. covering high schools. And as we've all, been, yeah, uh, you know, as we've all seen, uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously common knowledge how many guys Florida had arrested during Urban Meyer's tenure there. So I learned how to be pretty good as a police reporter, or at least, um, you know, have a pretty good start at being a police reporter. That was um, not something that's very fun because you never want to have to worry about doing that stuff. But it was a skill that you you really kind of have to learn. Um, but it was it was just so. I mean, it seemed like everything that you wrote. I can remember um, my boss constantly being on me about, Hey, what, what can we use for a centerpiece? What can we use for a centerpiece? And it kind of got me started training me to think about, you know what, maybe, maybe the story about the battle for the offensive line, second string center or second string left guard, you know, maybe that's not something we should really be concentrating on. Let's concentrate on some of the big things, the big stories, the big names, um, and start thinking along those lines, which sometimes as a beat writer, and, I, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, and anybody that's done it at any level for any length of time can kind of get caught up and snowed under the minutia of a beat. And um, my, I had some really good bosses that really kind of made sure that, that I didn't live in that area, that I was able to think, you know, hey, we've got to do some stories that are bigger, some different stories maybe something that other people aren't writing about, um, find a different angle on something uh, because, you know, anybody can get the information, the basic kind of information. There's so many other sources for it. Even back then when the internet really wasn't rolling like it is today and there wasn't, you know, hundreds of blogs or hundreds of websites devoted to a a team or, or, you know, a college. Um, But it really kind of got me thinking about, you know, what's, what's a bigger story? What's a better idea? Come up with an idea and then come up with a better one. Let's do the better one instead of the first one. I think that was probably 
one of the most important things that I didn't realize I learned mm. until several years later. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's definitely a really, it was a really competitive beat, I would imagine. Yes. Getting creative yes. and finding those different angles was not only, you know, ideal work, best work practices, but necessary to survive on the beat, right? Yeah, and it was it was much easier in those days to, to develop relationships with players and assistant coaches because the, uh, I guess the media restrictions were nowhere near as close mm-hmm. or as tight back then as they ended up being. I mean, we could walk with players from the practice field back to the locker room and then hurry back and then catch another guy on the way back and then hurry back and then maybe catch three or four guys. You could walk with an assistant coach, mm-hmm. you know, from the practice field to the locker room. Uh, you know, you can't do that kind of stuff nowadays. I mean, now everything's controlled. Uh, you know, access is severely limited, but that was sort of, you know, a good lesson on, you know, developing sources and developing relationships because, you know, that's what basically being a journalist is, is developing relationships with people and, and talking to people. And, it, you know, yeah, there's writing and there's TV and all that other stuff, but the bottom line is you're really just talking to people and trying to develop a relationship to get them to give you, you know, information, whether it's for a news story or for whatever else. But I mean, it was, it was a really, and you, you, you do a lot of that at the high school level again, because the restrictions are hardly there at all. And it was really refreshing, you know, to, to get to the university of Florida and see that that same kind of thing existed. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, man. It, it is, uh, I mean, you're constantly making phone calls. You're constantly, you know, trying to get information. You're constantly checking police reports and stuff. It was, uh, it was a grind, but never once did I ever say, man, this is too much. I don't want to do it. I mean, if you love what you do, which I did, you know, you're willing to put in the extra hours and put in the extra work and, and, you know, covering the university of Florida, they were rolling by that point already. They had already won that national title in 96 and Spurrier was rolling. Um, you know, it was just, you know, it was fun covering a team like that and, and an or a college like that, you know, when the basketball team got rolling too. And, and it was all about, you know, just like I said, developing some relationships on a really, really competitive beat. Definitely. And so on that developing relationships, yeah, excuse me, developing relationships front, I have a question for you. So you, you know, for football specifically, you were on the beat for a couple head coaching changes. So as far as your, you know, angles towards developing these relationships with these guys, I mean, how much did that change or did your processes have to change as each guy came in, instituted his own guys and kind of his own rules and his own ways of some coaching players to talk to press? Um, I don't know that it changed. I mean, I just tried to be who I was and tried to be genuine. And, and I think people can tell when you're not being genuine. I think we all know someone who acts like they're your friend um, and isn't or is just a disingenuous person and I just tried to be who I was and the one thing and I'll never forget Ron Zook telling me this um, and it, it really made me feel like I did my job well um, was he said I'll always talk to you because you're fair he said you, you you've killed me and you've praised me he's like but no matter what you do you're fair and to me that was the biggest compliment I could possibly ever get because as a beat writer as a journalist you have to write the negative you write the negative you write the positive sometimes there's more negative to write but if you're always fair with these coaches they respect that and they respect someone who is willing to put in the work so I just tried to kind of be like that all the time with each coach and you know if they liked it great if they didn't didn't really matter to me. but I mean as long as I could live with myself then I was fine with it um and for the most part, I had really good relationships with all the coaches that I covered. Um, Billy Donovan will always be one of my favorite coaches because just because of the person that he is and the guy that he is and, mm-hmm. and will always be one of my favorite people I've ever covered uh, and spoken to in this business. But that, um, you know, I, I did the same thing with him that I did with Ron Zook and that I did with Will Muschamp and Urban Meyer, just be who I was. And if that wasn't good enough for them in terms of whether they like me or not, that's on them, not on me. <laughs> a good piece of life advice, not just journalism advice. I guess. I mean, it just, I never really thought about it, but I just know that, that being fair was always hammered into me 
Um, you know, I, I graduated from Jacksonville University here in Jacksonville. It's a small school and it didn't have a journalism degree. It had a communications degree. So I did a lot of PR classes and, and there were some broadcast journalism classes. And, and um, you know, one of my professors was a NPR, but was a former journalist. And, and that was one of the things that he always made sure Professor Staus, uh, Dennis Staus always said, you know, you have to be fair. You have to strive to be fair. And that is the goal to be objective. I guess that's the word we always use back then, which is sort of the same thing, but just, just be objective and be genuine and you'll be fine. And you certainly were, but now I have a very important question for you, Mike. And this one that you probably (laughs) were expecting since you told me all this through the eyes of a Florida beat reporter, what was the rise of Tim Tebow? like? Well, you know, like I said, he was from Jacksonville. So I read about him in our paper. So I kind of, I knew who he was, um, but nobody had ever shown up. Now from, again, I started in 2005 or 2000, excuse me. And, and Tebow's first year was 2006. Mm. So, I mean, in those six years or five previous years, nobody had shown up to, to that school with that kind of, maybe Brock Berlin, but he had already gotten there when I was there. So, I mean, and I had to approach it too from, the hometown angle that he's a Jacksonville guy uh, and he got there that first year and it was uh, you couldn't write enough not not only me the hometown paper but every Florida writer you could not write enough he was a mega star when he got there mm-hmm. uh, and it only grew after that I mean that second year 2007 when he takes off and he wins the Heisman Trophy I mean his star couldn't get any brighter and then they end up winning the national title in 08. I mean, it was just – it was like a rocket ship taken off when he got there. And they don't win that 06 title without him. I mean, Chris Leak should get the bulk of the credit because he was the starting quarterback that year, and he played pretty darn well that year. But Tebow won a couple of games there for them. So they don't win it without him. But, man, that, I mean, he it, it was – it was like – it must have been like covering Elvis back in the day. I mean, it was just – like I could not write enough on Tebow. I just couldn't. I mean, I wrote at least one Tebow story a week, um, pretty much every, almost every week from the time he stepped on campus to the time he graduated. I mean, it was just whatever he did. I mean, and, and he was always doing something where you heard about him being at, a, at a, a, a Gainesville club and Kenny Chesney was playing a concert or a surprise, I mean, concert, and, and he got called up on stage. I mean, it's just, I mean, it was, it's like you couldn't, right enough about that kid and everything he did people cared about it's uh and that really hasn't changed to be honest with you here he is 34 years old and he's you know trying to make the jags as a tight end i mean you can't there are people that are 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 sick of tebow i guess but the numbers don't lie and that the interest is there and and it was really always been there but it was man it was just uh it was something that i mean i never experienced before but it was it was fantastic because it's, it's great. To, it's fun to cover a team and write about something that people care about. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. They're going to, people will be upset with what you're writing. They'll yell at you and you get complaints and all that other stuff, but man, they're reading. And it was just, it was just a blast. I mean, I, I don't know that I've had, like I said before, as much fun as I had in that four or five year stretch. And I'm unsure the Tebow mania, as it were, compares to anything in the college football sphere ever, maybe even the college sports sphere. I mean, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. But insofar as just like you, you mentioned, he was a megastar when he showed up, and then he won the Heisman Trophy, and then he contributed to one national championship and won another on his own. Like that's, you know, how can you possibly get, how could anybody be bigger than that, especially hometown kid from Jacksonville? I mean, the pieces line up so perfectly. It's hard to imagine any, any, anybody else having being able to hold a candle. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't around Texas A&M, uh, obviously, because I was covering Florida, but Johnny Mansell, um, that, that is but, – but I don't, I don't know if Johnny Mansell had the kind of hype that Tebow did going in. Um, but, I mean, everything Johnny Mansell did, people wanted to know about too now he did some crazy off the wall stuff and, and certainly it was in a different way than tebow but um you know the trevor lawrence i mean we're going to talk about him eventually but i mean he's the number one recruit in the nation and then he signs with clemson and wins a national championship as a freshman takes over as a starter and wins. i mean even that i don't necessarily know was at the same level of tim tebow you know people ask 
in, with his name, image, and likeness thing that come that's that's you know been approved and is starting to take over college athletics. And it's like, who would have made the most money doing that if we could have anybody back in the day? And I have a hard time believing that it wouldn't have been Tebow um, because you had the whole you had the whole off the field stuff with him too in terms of uh, his father's foundation, the Bob Tebow Foundation, uh, his missionary work. Uh, in the Philippines, uh, you know, going to the mission every year in the Philippines. I mean, it was just, I, I can't, I can't really imagine anybody else that's had that kind of, um, I guess, attention to mm-hmm. that level. I mean, I, Manziel may come close um, and maybe Trevor Lawrence, but man, it, Tivo was just, he was just a rock star, man. It, there's no other way to describe it. Yeah, especially down there. He is the rock star and all rock stars. And like you said, your career is kind of neatly bookended right now. <laughs> Tebow in mid-2000s, then Tebow suddenly appearing again out of absolutely nowhere, completely unexpected to show up at the Jaguars. But we'll get to that. First, I wanted to ask you, though, so you worked for the paper for until 2011, you said, right? And then right. you made that jump to ESPN. Yes. Why did you make the jump to ESPN? Um. Well, I wanted – I wasn't, uh, I had a friend that was working for ESPN and they were at that time expanding to have uh, sites that covered um, certain schools and they were looking for, for a Florida writer and a guy that worked for ESPN was someone that I used to work with at the Times Union and he told me about it and I applied. Um, you know, we all knew where newspapers were headed. I mean, yeah. this was, you know, 2011, like I said, and, and you know, there had been pay cuts and furloughs and, and the, the business wasn't on solid footing and I wanted to get out. And this was, that was a golden opportunity. And fortunately it worked out um, and I was able to move over. And I covered Florida for uh, ESPN from November of 11 through the 2000. I did the 2012 football season then I moved to cover the Jaguars just before uh, the 2013 season started. So I did you know, a little more than a year. Um, or almost two years with ESPN covering Florida. So uh, it just, it just was the right time for them. For sure. What made you uh, switch over to Jaguars coverage? What was kind of the process? There, <laughs> uh, there was some uh, rumblings for years that ESPN was going to do a team rider in every team, mm-hmm. uh, every NFL team. And, you know, I heard that was something that was actually going to happen in 2013. And there were some, I don't know if um, – I mean, there were some questions about whether this this whole team site thing was going to stick long-term uh, at ESPN. And, and, you know, this remember, this is before the SEC Network and all that other stuff. So um, my bosses came to me – one of my bosses came to me and said, look, I gave them your name. Uh, if you're interested, contact them. Um, and I think part of it was, uh, you know, a chance to try and do something new because by that time – those media restrictions that I had talked about before were as severe as they've ever been. So it was harder than ever to cover a college program. And basketball was certainly so much better because it's a smaller number of guys. Um, and Billy Donovan was still there. Um, but it was just so hard to cover football. The restrictions were so tight. It was hard to get to know kids. It was hard to, you know, some assistants weren't allowed to talk. I mean, it, it was just, it, it wasn't as much fun as it was before. Um, and I knew at the NFL, you know, there's open locker room and all that other stuff. And I think I was just kind of ready for a little bit of a change. For sure. And you talked a lot about, you know, in the last half hours of this podcast, you know, the basic tenets of journalism and how it kind of just stays the same no matter where you are. But insofar as just, I mean, switching from college to professional sports, which, I believe it's the first time you covered professional sports full time. I right. mean, what was the adjustment like for you? <laughs> I'll still remember. I started right at the end of training camp, um, right at the right just before the regular season started. And I'll never forget the first um, open locker room period. It's usually 40 to 45 minutes. So before I go in, I'm all organized. I got my notebook. I've got my list of five, six stories that I'm working on. And back then ESPN was, was uh, sort of a, uh, feed the beast mentality at that point. So we were writing five to seven things a day, short blogs on the, on the Jags a day. So I had a list of the main ones that I'm working on. So I've got like six or seven stories I'm working on. So I get in that locker room and I just go right down the list and I go to the guys I need and I ask questions and I get the quotes and boom. And I feel like, all right, man, whew, I got it all done. 
And I look up at the clock and it's still 20 minutes left in the open locker. And I'm like, okay, we're in a different world now. And it was possible, you know, I'm just so used to, to, to cramming a question in and not really, you know, because of those media restrictions at UF, there were no one-on-one interviews anymore. It was in, a, it was in the, the locker room with the, you know, 20 other journalists in there. So it was so hard to really kind of, you didn't get a chance to get to know those kids as much. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't conducive to doing a, a ton of good work there based on that. alone. So just getting in that locker room and then realizing, Oh, I got 20 minutes. Now I can talk to guys. Mm-hmm. Now I can talk to them about not just the story I'm working on. I can ask questions. I can talk to them as human beings. I can get to know some of these guys a little bit to the extent that they will let you get to know them. So that was probably the biggest eye opener for me. Uh, and that being able to, I guess, work the locker room where you, you know, you talk to, to guys about anything, even if you're not going to write a story uh, with quoting them or anything like that, getting a feel for what's going on in the locker room, getting a feel for what's going on that we don't know about. Um, you know, so that relationship part is, is just critically important at this level, more so than maybe even anywhere else. And that was, that was an eye opener. I'll, I'll never forget that first day on the NFL beat, man. And I'm just running around, get my quotes. And then I'm like, 20 minutes left. Now what am I supposed to do? I ended up just standing there <laughs> for 20 minutes, just kind of small talking with one of the other reporters. And I'm like, I got to have a better plan than this. So what was your plan of attack going forward then? Uh, it was a lot of just like work the room a little bit, go talk to some guys. Um, and, and you, you know, there were four or five guys that you kind of get into a routine of talking to. Uh, Maurice Jones drew was there then. Um, and he was great to talk to, um, and he would talk to you about anything. Um, and he would sort of kind of hold court every once in a while too, where he just, you know, just riff on anything. And it was fun to kind of get to know him and talk to him, but there were, you know, four or five guys that, you know, you would try to, to make sure you touch base with throughout the week, whether if it was on a Wednesday or Thursday, um, just to kind of get an idea. And I always, I don't know if this makes me sound bad or not, but sometimes the X's and O's of football do kind of bore me a little bit, especially when we get into the minutia of it. Um, but there's also times when obviously you need to know that. And I'm not afraid to tell somebody I don't know something. Mm-hmm. So there would be times where I would ask a guy, hey, can you really explain to me X? You know, why is this, you know, why is this happening? Um, and I was never afraid to do that because I'd rather ask somebody and get the explanation than just assume something and it's wrong. I just feel like that would just, I mean, that defeats the whole purpose of journalism, to be honest with you. So um, that's kind of what I would do uh, at times. Like if there was a, a stunt or something that they were talking about that I wasn't sure what they were talking about, I'd say, okay, I'd go to one of the defensive linemen that I like. Um, and that was really good at, at explaining stuff. And I would just say, hey, look, explain this to me. You know, how, why did this happen? How did that happen? Um, especially on those critical plays of games and stuff. I, you know, if, if I needed a little bit more of an explanation, you know, or, or a game plan kind of thing, I mean, that, that was really, um, that stuff's critical. Some, like I said, sometimes the deep minutia of it mm-hmm. just really kind of makes my teeth go numb. Um, but there are some people who love that. And, and that's fine, but that's just kind of not me. But I would always try and at least talk to some of these guys to kind of get a better feel or a more in-depth feel about what was going on. Were there any other lessons that you learned that first season on the beat that you carried over for your subsequent seasons? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when you've got a group of 50 people, you're not going to get along with everybody. And, mm-hmm. You pl- the percentages are that if you've got a group of that many people, there's going to be some jerks. There's going to be some great guys. There's going to be somebody that doesn't like you. Um, and that was kind of the, the biggest thing. Like nobody was really a jerk at the collegiate level, especially towards the end, because it was all in a press conference setting. So you never really had a chance to, uh, you know, to really get to know those kids. And, and back early in, in my career covering Florida in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, nobody was ever jerk i mean they were really good to talk to um but in the nfl these guys are adults are professionals these guys i mean this is their job um and some guys were not great to deal with and and learning how to deal with those kind of guys is something that you know i learned my first year 
uh, that I still, you know, you still have to deal with because you know you're going to run into guys that that are rude or don't want to talk or just really don't like the media or don't like you for something you've written. Um, you know, but I always, um, always will remember the the time that I did a story about, uh, I can't remember, this might've been 2014 or 2015. And I did a story on the Jags locker room had all these tape lines lined off and from one wall to the other. And they had people's names written on it. And I was like, what, 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 are, what is this? So I asked one of the guys and they're like, oh, it's a putting thing. They put a, a, a cup at the other end and this is the put there. People are making putts. Okay. And this is the length. The further you go back, you put the tape down, you write your name. That's the record at that point. So I did that story. I talked to um, Luke Jokel about it and he told me about it and all that other stuff. So I got some other quotes and I wrote the story uh, and it was, it started off as an offensive line thing. Um, so Zane Beatles was the, the, the guard, the right guard or left guard. I can't remember one of the guards, but he had, he had joined the team, I think the year before, and he was very protective of the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd actually didn't ask. He wasn't in the locker room that day when I got that story. So I didn't ask him anything about it. Well, I get a, a call from the PR department the next day. It's like, dude, Zane Beatles is livid. And I'm like, okay, why, why, <laughs> so what else, you know, why? Uh, and he's like, he's really mad that you wrote that story. He's like, that stuff stays in the locker room. Um, so I was like, look, you know what? Then let's let, let me go talk. To him. And he wasn't in open locker room. Um, so I called the PR guy afterwards. I was like, Hey, look, I got to get with him. You got to get me with him. So he got me with Zane Beatles that afternoon. And, you know, Zane was fine in turn. Like he wasn't screaming or yelling at me, but he said, look, I think some stuff should stay in the locker room. And it shouldn't be stuff that people know about. That's our area. You guys are in our area. You should have more respect for that. I'm like, hey, great. You know, we hashed it out. We talked it out. And I, and I told him, I said, look, I'll be honest with you. If Luke had told me, don't write this, I, because Zane doesn't really want you writing it, or Zane would really lose his mind, or we want this to stay inside the locker room, I probably would have considered not writing. Maybe wouldn't have. Um, you know, but he was pretty cool about it. And, uh, he was like, look, I appreciate you coming to talk to me about this. He's like, you could have just blown it off. And I'm like, well, I I don't want to operate like that. So, um, dealing with difficult people, sort of that kind of something you're going to have to deal with. And there's going to be guys that don't like you. And there's going to be guys that hate you. And there's going to be guys that don't want to talk to the press. And you have to learn how to deal that, deal with that. And that's something I really hadn't experienced much until I got to that level. Yeah, certainly that particular story is very much so a lesson in the importance of hashing it out because I imagine Zane Beatles would have been a little chilly towards you the rest of the season if you hadn't dragged him into talking to you. Yeah, well, I mean, I just I just wanted to get it. I mean, because you let it, you know, like we've all been in relationships and you let something fester, it gets way worse over time. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just deal with it now. If he wants to yell at me, he can yell at me, whatever. I've been yelled at before by a lot of people. It's not going to kill me. Never going to have been angry, especially when the other person is a 320-pound offensive player, right? <laughs> there is that considering I'm 5'4". Yeah, there is that. It was one of these conversations where you're looking straight up. I have a lot of those, uh, especially uh, talking to offensive and defensive linemen. And Joe Kim Noah, who was seven feet. I can remember after interviews with Joe Kim Noah at UF, I'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> so. Well, glad you made it through without any uh, lifelong neck problems. <laughs> knock on wood at this point. And yeah, knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood for you. So now you're on your uh, ninth season on the beat. Is that correct? Do I have the, my math right? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, ninth season. Well, I had to do the math too. That's crazy how quickly that goes. Yeah, it's been a yeah, been a pretty long time. And the Jaguars obviously have had some pretty high highs and some very low lows. The past couple of years have been mostly low lows. But now the Jaguars are perhaps the most exciting young team in the NFL and certainly one of the most interesting. You have Trevor Lawrence, the most coveted draft pick to come out of the drafts is probably Andrew Luck. You have Urban Meyer dipping his toe into the professional pool for the first time ever. And then you have Tim Tebow, of course, as we mentioned a few times. But I mean, kind of what's been the buildup like as you prepare to really like launch into your season and the Jaguars prepare to launch into their season compared to previous years on the beat? Uh, I guess the best way maybe to explain it or to, to give an example as to how different it is and what the buildup is like is I did more TV hits in the spring, whether it was Sports Center, Get Up, what have you, 
tape segments, uh, you know, for Sports Center on the West Coast. I did more of that in the spring than I did maybe the previous two, three years combined. Uh, I mean, just people care now. Mm -hmm. uh, they're relevant. I mean, that's the bottom line is they're relevant because of Trevor, because of Urban Meyer. They're relevant. And, uh, you know, Urban Meyer's pedigree of being a winner wherever he goes, Trevor Lawrence's pedigree of being a winner wherever he goes, and the fact, like you said, that, that he's certainly the best quarterback prospect in the draft since Andrew Luck. Um, and, you know, Mel Culliper has him along with Luck, uh, Manning, and Elway. Uh, you know, those only those three other quarterbacks rated ahead of them. I mean, you can see why the interest is there. And it's, uh, it's been fantastic. It's great. I mean, I remember what it was like in 2017 when they were relevant and people cared. And sometimes when you, when you cover a team that's not relevant, uh, like the Jags, you, you feel like, okay, I'm doing some good work. I just don't know how many people, and I don't mean people at ESPN. I just mean, I just don't know how many people are seeing these stories. Uh, I don't know how many people care about this franchise, but it's different now. I I remember coming off that run in, in 2017 and they go to the AFC title game. And then that training camp in 2018, that was the energy around here was, was really, really good in terms of fans, the city, you could kind of feel everybody sort of just so excited for the season. This is even higher. Than that. This is even, it's on another level this year. Yeah. Which surprised me a little bit because a lot of people expected that team to go to the Super Bowl, uh, how wrong we were there. Um, but uh, it's just been, it's electric around here. And, and the fact that, you know, it, it, it's more than just Trevor, it's urban, it's Trevor, you know, ETN, Travis ETN adds a little bit of that too. I mean, it, it's the atmosphere here is like nothing I've experienced with the Jags before. Now I have to earn my salary. So stay tuned for more press pass after this. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the TV hits aspect because I actually talked to your coworker Jenna Lane last year. After <laughs> she was on every day, yeah. every day. Pretty much the same thing about, okay, so I know my job is there's a lot more eyes on what I'm doing right now because I'm on TV way more. So how has your experience been doing? I know, you know, you've been a part of ESPN for a long time now, so you, I'm sure you have some experience with appearing on TV. But like you said, this is much different than anything you've ever done before, really. So, I mean, what's that been like for you? Um, it was interesting because, you know, I never trained as anybody on TV. And, and when we first took this job in 2013, when they started the NFL Nation, that wasn't really part of what we were going to do. And it sort of gradually um, morphed into some TV work. Uh, and obviously for some guys uh, and, and some reporters more than others, they were on a lot more. I mean, my, I think you guys did something with Mike Reese at one point. I mean, I think I saw Mike Reese more than my wife during a couple of weeks of football season. Like every time I turn on the TV, there's Mike Reese, and I'm going, okay. I mean, and Mike Reese, by the way, one of the two or three nicest human beings on the planet, one of my favorite guys. I um, and I agree. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, it's just uh, – it's been fun learning how to do that because it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, and, and, and for someone who never trained in any of it uh, to just – I can remember the first time I did it, was at a training camp and I do the first live hit and I'm nervous as all heck. Um, I don't know what I said. I don't remember it. Uh, I remember being incredibly nervous the mm. whole time. And then I go to practice, I come back and then the producer that they were there was like, okay, we got to do uh, a rap. Uh, and then we got to do a tape, a SOT. And, and I'm like, I don't know anything you just said. I don't have <laughs> any idea what you're talking about. And I can see the producer go, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. and I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, but I've never done it before. You're going to have to take my hand and walk me through it. Um, and there's still an element of that for me now, because again, I've, I've been on a little bit, but not a ton, um, but I do have a better handle on it. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. And the funny thing is, and, and I don't know if, if Mike or Jenna said this, but again, I covered the University of Florida for the Florida Times Union here in Jacksonville, the only newspaper in town for 13 years. I covered Tebow. I covered two national championships in football, two national championships in basketball. I mean, you could not be – I couldn't have written about any more high-profile events, okay? The second I'm on TV, I get texts and phone calls. Oh, I saw you on TV. It's like, <laughs> it's like nothing else matters. 
I don't know if Jenna said that or if Mike ever said. I mean, it's like nothing, nothing else I've done has mattered. I saw you on TV for 30 seconds. Oh my gosh. And it's like, you know, I've been doing this for like ever, right? You know, like I write a lot. It's like I don't exist unless I'm on TV. Uh, and it's it's really kind of funny to me because I'm like, you know, I wrote like nine stories last week, <laughs> but none of that impressed you. Just the 30 seconds on TV where I said Tebow and Trevor Lawrence, and now it, it's wonderful. But um, it's been a lot of fun learning how to do that. It, it really has. Yeah, it seems like you're taking the right attitude with it. But, you know, who knows? You already know from the 27th brief glimmer of hope in the 2017 season, you never know how long this shit is going to last. So. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So what was your reaction as a reporter, really, when you learned that Urban Meyer was going to be the coach next year and you have an existing relationship with him already from your times covering Florida? Uh, I thought, uh, to be honest with you, a little bit selfishly, huh? this might be good for me. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's hard getting to learn to, to know some of these, these head coaches. They're, kind, they're really guarded. Um, and it's not like Urban and I are buddies for sure, but, I mean, I spent seven years, eight years covering him. So, you know, he knows who I am. We've had chatted, all that other stuff. I mean, we had a previous relationship that had to, ha that, that would have to help. Um, and there was also a little bit of, uh, you know, people had asked me before, do I think Urban will ever try to coach in the NFL? And I had always said, yes, I said that absolutely. Um, and why? And I, well, because all these, co there is no more group of people in the world with bigger egos than coaches. Mm. Without a doubt, because they always feel like, wait, you couldn't reach that guy. I can reach that guy. I'll get him to play. You could only win nine games there. I'll go win 11 games there. I can do that. I'll win the national title there. That's how they all think. That's how they have to all think. It's not necessarily a bad thing. So when you've had the amount of success that Urban has had, and he's still a relatively young guy, uh, I just thought it was a matter of time before he would say, look, you know what? I've done it incredibly well at this level. I'm going to try it at the highest level because I think I can be really success, successful there as well. So uh, when he got here, he was hired. I thought that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, and hopefully he and I can, now that we can actually be in the same room together with the COVID restrictions lifted a, a little bit here, can really kind of pick up kind of where we left off. And how much have you gotten to be able to talk to Trevor Lawrence yet? Not a hot, not a ton. Not a ton. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty controlled with the, the COVID restrictions. Um, you, you really can't get to know anybody on Zooms, obviously. I mean, extremely well, you get the face and a name. So at least from that standpoint, um, but really, we really haven't had a lot of contact with them. They've uh, obviously had to limit that stuff, but hopefully now, like I said, we can do some in-person interviews, those of us that are vaccinated. Um, so that's hopefully going to jumpstart, the kind of relationship that you really want to have with, when you're covering your team starting quarterback. Definitely. And obviously that was, uh, you know, as a lifelong reporter, I'm sure the various restrictions put in place while made sense were very frustrating in terms of being able to build those relationships. Yeah. You can't really like <laughs> James Robinson, if James Robinson would walk by, I mean, I know what James Robinson looks like, but I don't, I mean, we've never spoken to each other in a room face-to-face. -face. LaVisca Chenault, same way. I mean, those rookies that came in last year, it's, I mean, Caleb on chase on, I mean, I, I can pick him out of a lineup, but I just, I have no relationship with him. And, and that's been the toughest part about the last year for all journalists, whether it's football, basketball, you know, what have you, just being able that, that not having that face-to-face -face interaction, it, it, it just, it, it, it makes it so hard to find the stories that you're trying to find. And so for that reason, and for many others, just, I mean, what are you looking forward to being able to cover this season and the most exciting season in Jaguars, you know, last couple of years of Jaguars history, but just a very interesting team, a very interesting set of storylines, familiar faces, COVID restrictions are slowly being lifted, you know, what are you really looking forward to? Oh man, it, uh, all of it, every bit of it. I mean, it's, it's been a while since we've been able to talk to guys in person, uh, in a room, um, it's, it's been a while since there's been this much enthusiasm around the franchise. I mean, it just, it, it just feels like, um, and I don't mean, it feels like it's an expansion team in a way. And that like the city just got the team, yeah. you know what I mean? Like we're, they were just awarded the team and boom, not only that, we gave you Trevor Lawrence, we gave you Urban Meyer. I mean, it's just I'm like, you can't get any higher enthusiasm 
here in Jacksonville now. And I feel sort of like a part of that. So, um, you know, anything that, 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 that Trevor does, anything that Urban says, I mean, there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some bad games. There's going to be some really good games. Um, I mean, there's a ton of storylines uh, on this team. You know, Marvin Jones Jr. is a fantastic story. How do they mix in ETN? Does DJ Chark bounce back from last year after Urban Meyer called him soft? Um, and then DJ Chark agreed with it. Then on the defensive side of the ball, they rebuilt the secondary. What's the pass rush going to look like? Is Josh Allen going to do anything more than he did last year? I mean, there's just so many storylines. Um, in a division that is going to be, I think, more competitive than people think, uh, I don't think the Jaguars are anything more than a six- or a seven-win team, but I also think that they're going to be a team that's going to be in a ton of games. And <clears throat> let me tell you, there is nothing worse in terms of covering a, a game. I, now – as a being, a, I don't care if they win or lose. I really don't, hmm. you know, that I, and I never cared if Florida won or lost. That's just what being a journalist is. <coughs> Excuse me. But there is something about going into a game, covering a game where, you know, by the middle of that first quarter, they, they, they have no chance. They have no chance to win a game. Hmm. And then you're trying to come up with story angles for the game. And it's the same thing that's gone wrong the past seven weeks. And you're like, what do I do now? What do I write out of this now? It's the same issue. And you know, here it is, you know, two o'clock. And I've got to watch another two hours of this awful, awful offense, <laughs> awful defense. Like, how do, what do I say? What do I write? What do I do? How do I find something different out of this? And, and there's just nothing worse than that 17 weeks a year. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fun at all. But it does. I mean, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with just being able to kind of like uh, expand your like mindset as, as far as the creativity aspect and try <laughs> different angles. Because being on that bad of a team, I was talking to uh, Kevin Clark from The Ringer the other day. And okay. he talked to me about how when he was an intern, he covered the 1-15 in 15 Dolphins in 2007. <laughs> and he was like, there wasn't a lot to write about, so you had to really get creative. And so it sounds like that's just kind of the general rules that when you're covering a really bad team and, like, the actual football or whatever sport it is is happening, and it's kind of the same thing that keeps happening, there's only so much you can write. So you kind of have to go down these avenues to keep your readers interested to write stuff that you want to write. Like, you really have to get creative in that aspect. Well, and here's the thing, like, I, like I said, I started covering them in 13. So they were bad in 13. They were bad in 14, bad in 15, and bad in 16. But we had locker room access. So you could get in there, you could talk to guys, and you could find those off-the-wall stories. You could find the, the Doug Barone loves a bologna sandwich after a loss or after game story that somehow turned into this week-long saga of bologna. It's, I mean, one of the more bizarre things ever. Um, but like last year, you didn't have that, mm. you know what I mean? So you would go cover, sit there in that press box, you watch that game and then they bring in Gardner Minshew or they bring in, you know, Jake Luton. And then you get one defensive player after the game and, and you're like, what, what have I got here? It's like, what do I have? Um, and then you didn't have that locker room access during the week to, to find those other stories, to talk to guys, to BS with guys. So yeah, last year was without a doubt the hardest year I've had in my professional career, the hardest season I've had in my professional career. So, man, it was ooh, it was brutal. I I am so looking forward to at least being able to talk to people mm -hmm. this year. That that's probably the one thing that I'm really looking forward to more than anything else. That makes a lot of sense. And not only do you finally get to talk to people again, the Jaguars are just giving you a thousand things to write about before a game is even played. How nice of them, right? Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's 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 always good when you're going into training camp to sit there and go, well, I can name 10 stories off the top of my head that I've got to write during camp that I've got to follow. I mean, when there's more stuff to write about, it's always good than when you're searching. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it's going to be very interesting. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do for your work, Mike. But now we will end with the question I always end with here on Press Pass, which is very simply, is there anything you know now about the industry that we are in and that you're in as a beat writer specifically that you wish you knew back when you were starting out at the Times Union in the early 90s? Wow. Uh, maybe maybe this is, is something that everybody learns, you know, no matter what their profession is, but it's not like you expect it to be or not like what you're told it's going to be. Um, 
you know, when they talked about the, the, the stuff about uh, sourcing and breaking news and, and all that stuff, and uh, <clears throat> they basically made it sound pretty cut and dry. But, but in reality, there is a lot of give and take that goes on in that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, there's a lot of back scratching that goes on in this business. Um, you know, you help me with this, I'll help you with that. Uh, I, I think that was a, a bit of a surprise to me. It's not bad in any way, shape, or form. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing shady about it. But um, maybe I was just a naive kid, and, then, and none of that really occurred to me. But, I mean, it's never like it is in a textbook. Um, the real world always is different than the way, A, you expect it to be in the way your professors and uh, parents tell you it's going to be. So I think if I had known that, maybe I would have gone into – my profession with, uh, you know, a little bit more open eyes, I guess. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And thank you very much, Mike, for appearing on the Press Pass podcast. I really appreciate it. It was really great talking with you. And I hope, or I think our listeners learned a little something and uh, definitely are going to be as excited as we are about the Jaguars upcoming season, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're, you're not alone for that. But uh, thank you so much for having me. It was, really was an honor to be asked to be on this. So, uh, really, thank you very much. Absolutely. And the biggest thanks, as always, goes out to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in, and I will see you next time. This is your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.